those rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Maureen. Welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. This week I will be interviewing Julia Felice Brook on the show. I'm super excited for this interview. So I met Julia at the Vegans of Color conference in Dublin last September when I also spoke at uh, Dublin VegFest. You might remember that I interviewed also Rama on the beef ban in India and the appropriation of Hinduism and Buddhism in in vegan cultures, um, well, in the dominant vegan movement, I should say. Uh, but uh, Julia was the person who organized this conference, um, and she gave a really powerful opening speech, and so you're going to get to hear the speech on the show. So before we get started, I'm going to give you a little more information about Julia. She is a decade-long vegan, mother of two, scientist and published author and illustrator. She's also the founder of Sanctuary Publishers, a vegan book publisher that gives back to marginalized communities with every book sold. Sales from Julia's most recent books, The Baby and Toddler Vegan Feeding Guide and Veganism in an Oppressive World, help support the work of Chili's on Wheels, an organization that helps to feed the homeless with vegan meals, and the Food Empowerment Project. Julia is also the founder of Veganism of Color and co-writer of the Vegan Bill for Consistent Anti-Oppression, and you can find that at ConsistentAntiOppression.com. So yeah, I'm just really excited to have Julia on. In the show notes, I've linked a bunch of resources that Julia kindly wrote up for us. It's just really awesome when guests do that, um, when they give so much further reading and, and further resources to check out for anyone who's interested. I really want to encourage all of you to check out Julia's Patreon page because she does a lot of amazing work that you're going to hear about. Um, and she really doesn't profit off of any of this work, and it's just a tremendous labor of love. I'm grateful that she does this work. I actually bought two books from her at the Vegans of Color conference in Dublin, Veganism in an Oppressive World and Food Justice, a Primer and... I must say they're both really exceptional books and as a person who like I feel like I've read my fair share of pro intersectional vegan related content and you know obviously I've watched a lot of things on the topic and also made a lot of videos and it just always humbles me how much more I have to learn and really it's just exciting um and so yeah again I really really encourage everyone to check it out so okay Without further ado, here is the interview. So, hi, Julia. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of The Vegan Vanguard. I'm really thrilled to be able to interview you. Thank you. So, uh, hi everyone. My name is uh, Julia Felice Brook or uh, Julia Felice Brook. The following was my opening speech for the Vegas of Color conference that took place in September of this year, 2018. You can actually watch the full conference on veganismofcolor.com. Originally, I was going to memorize this speech, but then I realized that it would go against what I was attempting to do with the conference and in my everyday activism. I have inattentive attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, 
although I and many of us do not see us um, as being disordered, most accurately, I am neurodivergent, and I prefer to say that I am an ADHD person. That means in part that my short-term memory works differently, particularly when put on the spot. See, my brain never stops thinking and chattering, which makes focusing on specific tasks more, more difficult than it would be for someone that doesn't have ADHD. My brain is split, is split between trying to focus on this moment right now, the excitement of um, being here, being recorded right now, <laughs> Thank you. thinking about eating uh, vegan donuts, <laughs> the new uh, Daddy Yankee song that was just released, and about 20 other things all at the same time. This means that I find it easier to read this to you in order to anchor my brain to the present moment and make sure my message to you is expressed the way I need it to be. I will also make reading mistakes, as you've already heard me, <laughs> and lose my place as ADHD affects how I experience reading. And that's just it. Those of us from marginalized communities experience the world much differently than the accepted and standardized norm. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm simply neurodivergent and therefore have a brain that works differently. Just because I'm doing vegan and animal rights activism does not mean that my neurodivergence takes a back seat. It's how I experience the world and interact with it. I can't just leave it at the door, which is something I hear often from the vegan movement as a response to those that let their needs known. Unfortunately, the world is not set up to understand what is considered normal to someone like me. Instead, I am expected to assimilate, to adapt despite it being against my own nature. There are some of us that are also marginalized in different ways for more visible reasons, who we are visibly to the world. This affects every aspect of our lives and everything we set out to do from the time we are born. As a person of color, I am perceived through biases that I must navigate in spaces that are often not aware they act on those bias biases. Why? Because these implicit biases against black and brown people are taught in a society as the norm, as the norm, <laughs> where a certain type of individual is, is the accepted way to be, and these implicit stereotypes follow those deemed less than. You can think of it this way. In our world, the accepted way to be is human. Human is the norm and standard that is applied across the world through a supremacist hierarchy that places different species on different levels. We all, this, we all know this in basic terms as speciesism, where humans are at the top and non-humans are seen as less than. For centuries, this is also what has been done to marginalize humans through a hierarchy based on skin colors, for example, in which anti-blackness is reinforced and applied throughout the world. To be black and brown is to be seen as less than, because that is what is taught in, in our society subconsciously. These issues have not been solved and are still very much present in society today. The thing is that this type of hierarchy follows vegans of color, even in vegan spaces. We can't just leave our skin color at the door, and unless you're aware of how we experience our lives, the microaggressions, the racism, the xenophobia, the stereotypes, you might unintentionally add to it. This happens quite often when we're told to give up our safety and march side-by-side -side racists and xenophobes for the animals, or when we're expected to show up to protest with police presence at an event, even though people of color are targeted by police for just being brown and black. 
or when we're told that human oppression is not as important as non-human animal oppression, or when well-known leaders in the vegan movement preach for the tolerance of bigots and bigotry for the animals. Personally, I don't think I should be expected to be part of events where vegans in attendance think ADHD does not exist or is a ploy by Big Pharma. I'm certainly not going to find the accommodations that I need there. Autistic vegans and vegans with other disabilities probably won't either. This is called ableism. I also don't think I should be expected to engage with those that think tolerance for racists is the way to go as long as they are vegan. I'm certainly not going to feel safe in a space that upholds a hierarchy where my safety and life hold less value in order to create new racist vegans, which will simply continue to uphold the very speciesism that keeps non-human animals oppressed. I or anyone else should not be expected to tolerate vegans or non-vegans that insist my struggles are not real or not valid or not as important when they are, they are struggles that shape how I experience the world. You don't have to understand it. You just have to respect that we have different needs, experiences, cultural histories, influences, and struggles that mean we experience veganism differently. And by ignoring how upholding hierarchies designated to marginalized people like me exist, and by tolerating them, you keep veganism a movement for a privileged few. How? Because tolerating bigotry for the animals means that you uphold various types of supremacist ideologies, which doesn't make sense when you claim to want to abolish human supremacy. To continue to claim that we must water down the meaning of veganism or that we must tolerate big bigots in the movement or ignore imperfect ideologies that get people murdered as long as we do it for the animals has created a movement that thrives on its own brand of supremacy. I know you're probably trying to make sense of what I have just said, but this is where I need you to listen even more carefully about what I'm going to say. If you, as a white person, white passing person, or privileged marginalized person claim that the struggles of other marginalized humans do not matter as much as non-human struggles, or that our struggles are not all valid or important in the quest for justice and liberation of non-human animals, you are upholding a veganism that thrives on intermingling supremacies and is fueled by established tools of oppression. This brand of single-issue veganism, which has become the mainstream norm, is lacking in the awareness of animalization as a tool of white supremacy and how it gave rise to an offshoot of speciesism, racialized speciesism, that affects people of color specifically. This type of veganism places animals first in a way that it flips the hierarchy where the most privileged are still at the top only to be followed by non-humans, not even seen as their own communities, but as a lump sum of species to be saved by them. Then we find marginalized humans at the very bottom, as their struggles are seen as less than and not real worth addressing. Ironically, marginalized humans are routinely told we can speak for ourselves while continuously silenced when we try to tell the vegan movement what we need to help veganism spread because our oppression directly impacts non-human animal liberation. In essence, single-issue mainstream veganism has not actually disrupted speciesism. It actually thrives on human supremacy. Mainstream white single-issue veganism has evolved into a movement that still assigns values between species, humans, and non-humans. Through upholding the experiences of those that do not have awareness of oppressions they have never experienced, 
because of the way the world is set up. This has happened by the continual tolerance of isms and despite being told repeatedly that racism, transphobia, classism, ableism, and many other forms of oppression exist, are alive and well and intersect with one another to complicate our activism even more. Yes, veganism is a movement centered on non-human animal liberation. However, human and non-human oppression is interconnected. One will not achieve liberation without the other. Veganism will not achieve its goal if it does not acknowledge the need to embrace a veganism that is consistently anti-oppression. Veganism will simply continue to be just another form of supremacy centered on the most privileged with the most resources if we do not work on root issues. The connections I have just made for you do not mean that you don't have your own struggles. It does not mean that you are a bad person for not having been aware of struggles that you do not experience or of connections you're just starting to make. It is simply an effort to sound the alarms of reality that veganism as a movement has serious issues that need to be addressed if it is to put non-human animals first, front and centered. With this opening statement, I'd like to thank you for being here and for tuning in. The Vegans of Color Conference worked a little different than most people are probably used to in an attempt to truly have the voices of vegans of color heard and given a platform, which is often denied to us. We did not take any questions and we did not engage in any type of debating about our own oppression and experiences or cultures. We hope that by doing this, white vegans would recognize that they were guests in our space and that you would take the time to listen to our perspectives on veganism as we educate and discuss with one another. Um, issues that affect us. As the first ever Vegans of Color mini conference, the talk brought awareness of issues that are holding back the mainstream vegan movement from vegans of colors themselves. We're members from the world's majority, and it is not an understatement to say that you will not achieve non-human animal liberation without understanding veganism be beyond how you experience it. If you take any understanding with you from listening to me today, let it be that we, vegans of color and other marginalized groups, are asking the movement to embrace a veganism that is consistently anti-oppression, one that is aware, willing to evolve, one that understands the connections between oppressions, and one that does not add to the oppression of marginalized humans and humans alike. This is important for all vegans from all walks of life. Racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, classism, transphobia, homophobia, ageism, xenophobia, sexism, body shaming, health shaming, and the list goes on. Do not belong in a movement that claims to want justice. Non-human animals are truly centered and first in their own movement when we make sure not to add to the oppression of others and when we work towards creating spaces and campaigns that address root issues. A veganism that is consistently anti-oppression means more people going vegan. Is that not what we want? Yes. <laughs> this speech... <laughs> This speech and conference was the start of a very important conversation that we all need to be having across the globe. I have worked hard with other vegan activists to create resources to help you understand how to create the most effective movement. And before you think, oh, she's just trying to sell us books, I'm really not. I do run Sanctuary Publishers, which is a new vegan book publisher that gives back. Sales help publish more resources, publish much needed books, and also support specific organizations and projects. I've actually made a list of resources, including website books and articles for Maureen to share with you um, with this episode. Please, please do take the time to read them.
Thank you. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> what a wonderful speech. Thank you. Um, and yes, as Julia said, please check out all of the links that she has sent me um, in the description, not in the description box, I always say that, in the show notes of this podcast. <laughs> so I have a few questions for you to finish off our interview. Uh, I'm really interested by the fact that you started Sanctuary Publishers. I think it's very impressive. It must take a lot of work um, and that you've already published uh, so many books in how many, how long ago did you start it? In um, May or yeah, May of 2017. Wow. <laughs> and you've already published, so uh, Veganism in an Oppressive World, assembling such a wide range of perspectives must have been a huge task um, and editing all of that. So I would love to just hear about the process of doing that. Um, and then I also bought a Food Justice, a primer by Sanctuary Publishers. And you also have two, well, one, one children's book, um, one book called A Baby and Toddler Vegan Feeding Guide. And what other books? There's a cookbook. A Southern Girl's Guide to Plant-Based Eating Recipes from the Vegan Soul. Yeah. Wow. So that's a total of six books, correct? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> how many did we just list? <laughs> well, a lot of books in such a short time. So how do you do it? And what was the driving motivation behind starting uh, Sanctuary Publishers? So um, where do I start? So I truly think that ADHD is actually um, a superpower sometimes, not mm. all the time, but a lot of the time. So the way um, my brain works is I have inattentive. So that means that my brain is always going and I'm spaced out thinking of a million different things. Mm. And uh, all these million different things include a million different ideas. <laughs> and sometimes, um, actually, a lot of my projects have, have come about from either traumatizing experiences or um, burnout, where mm. I realize, okay, this isn't working. I'm feeling frustrated from these two sides. How can I fix it? Okay. <laughs> um, that's what happened with veganism in an oppressive world. I was so burnt out from, um, you know, non-vegan people of color. Um, mm -hmm. using white vegans as an excuse to ignore animal rights. Mm. And then I was burned out from white vegans, from not listening and from actually giving, you know, justifying non-vegan people of color <laughs> for ignoring them because it's yeah. truly awful. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought, okay, we need to put more voices of color vegan voices of color out there um because we're we usually never really get a, a platform and mm -hmm. i wrote a little explanation because i knew that i i it would be hard for me to focus so i'm just gonna read it <laughs> sure great. so i released my first ever book in 2016 and i realized that since i had done most of the work myself i had learned how to do the whole book publishing um thing i have always had the ability to write and create artwork and consistently use both as part of my activism and also as a way to raise money and support others i realized that i could combine all these things to create a book publisher that gave back, supported marginalized groups, including non-humans, and published content that is really needed to bridge gaps between communities and movements. 
I also wanted to make sure that the content is accessible, which can be challenging because of the competition, getting the word out and what is out there to actually allow me to publish these books, for example. I also um, wanted to ensure that my illustrators, authors, designers and editors um, get fair payment. Uh, and it's quite difficult to juggle all these things, plus pay for the basics to keep Sanctuary Publishers itself going. Um, I actually haven't made any money for myself from any of the work that I have been doing, um, just to be able to stay afloat. But um, because I also reinvest um, any profits that we make into new book projects. So it's sort of like um, it's sort of like in a cycle where I put a book out and then what money we make goes obviously to pay um, the designer or whatever to, to publish the next book. But also um, the, the author illustrators are, are making uh, royalties and we're also donating to, to a project or, or sexuary. Um, so how did that happen? <laughs> I'm pretty isolated um, where I live. Um, and it's quite sexist as well, where uh, mothers are expected to stay at home mm-hmm. or depend on their family. Where, where do you live so that our listeners know? I'm in Switzerland, okay. <laughs> middle of nowhere, Switzerland. Um, however, <laughs> uh, I don't have any family or friends here. I, have, I do have undergraduate and graduate science research degrees, but I can't get a job because my field doesn't exist here. And I wouldn't have anyone to help with the kids um, anyway. So. Um, at first, I was actually really upset at being forced um, into the whole stay-at-home role because I always envisioned myself as a working mother. Um, however, I realized as someone that was raised by a single uh, mother that had to work nonstop, it is a privilege that I do have, even though it is a full-time job in itself and a tough one. My partner supports me in my using what free time I do have to, to work on more book projects, um, which is great. But um, yeah, and he was actually the one that, that told me to just go for it. <laughs> so in 2017, I registered Sanctuary Publishers um, and I put out the baby and toddler uh, vegan feeding guide. Um, so basically, this is my activism now um, as a means to support non-humans and other marginalized humans to give them a voice um, and to fund other mini projects that I have set up as well in the last um, since since. I opened Sanctuary Publishers, so like um, newprideflag.com, veganismofcolor.com, and uh, consistentantioppression.com. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the summary. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you have, you're juggling a lot of different things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the initiative of newprideflag.com? Yes, so... Um, Newpriflag.com was actually came out of frustration again. Um, someone um, created a flag that looked a lot like a lot of POC flags, especially um, look a lot like the Puerto Rican pride flag. Um, hmm. And I think it was really after um, close to to after the the hurricane which devastated the island, which is where I'm from. I'm from Puerto Rico. And um, I have uh, many trans black and brown friends and I, I asked them, you know, if they, they wanted me to help um, design a flag that I would be happy to help them, especially as a way to, I guess, stand up against this new flag. <laughs> um, especially because the, the, the person that, that designed it didn't, 
I don't know, they spoke about inclusion. It was it was a white um, non-binary person and they spoke about inclusion, but specifically right now, we don't need inclusion. What we need is is to center the, more, the most marginalized. And in the LGBTQ community, which is what, what the what we're talking about forgot to mention that um mm-hmm. trans women trans black women are disproportionately murdered and targeted just for who they are mm-hmm. queer poc are twice as likely also to be attacked and targeted by homophobia so i i made the design where the black and brown are actually going across the flag and then part of the flag is the trans flag and then the other flag is the original um pride flag and it was also meant to highlight the the history of pride which was started by um trans um black and brown women like marsha p johnson so there's also the history that a lot of people have forgotten um there's the the fact that you know black trans women keep being murdered but you know nobody's really talking about it especially and and also when you go into lgbtq spaces you see mostly white people and mm-hmm. it's not to say that it's wrong <laughs> that there's white people but there's they've also found that um people of color are more likely to identify as lgbtq plus so why aren't we you know like why aren't we featured more why aren't our voices you know heard more so that's the idea behind the flag um i i uh i'm hosting the flag there which can be downloaded for free but also i i printed out stickers and um, whatever stickers we sell, and also there's a red red bubble store, um, and whatever money I make from that, I'm donating to to support um, trans um, POC directly. I see. So we can buy the stickers on on the website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Great. Um, and then the downloadable the downloadable file. Are you hoping that people share it on Facebook? Or- yes, yes, okay. that would be amazing. I mean, it's free to use. And if people want to make um, things to sell, I just ask that you donate at least fifty percent to to organizations helping trans people of color directly. Okay, very cool. I feel like you've gotten to also uh, travel recently with these projects. I know that you were in Dublin and I know that recently you were in London. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think um, a lot of white vegans are really starting to realize that, you know, we really need to work together and really, really need to be aware of all these different issues. And um, a friend in Dublin actually asked me if I would come to speak Mm -hmm. to her organization and then it just grew from there because um vegans of color were so um i guess excited that you know wow a platform (laughs) where we could talk so i ended up like um you know asking oh do you want to talk do you want to talk and yeah i mean i hope i hope we could do it again but of course like funding is always an issue um and in London, I worked with uh, Carol um, J. Adams and Monika mm-hmm. uh, and um, Carolyn Bailey, Monika uh, Repka. We worked on the vegan bill of consistent anti-oppression together, and it's published on consistentantioppression.com. And it's basically steps 
for mm-hmm. for mainstream vegan the mainstream vegan movement to to understand like where we actually need to address you know like what issues need to be addressed put as like clear and simple as possible <laughs> yeah yeah it's super clear and concise and yeah thank you for making that so that's why yeah, that's why I was in London um, to present the bill with uh, Carol Adams. So oh, we, cool. we were invited to do that. So okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're hoping we're hoping to maybe get Carol J. Adams on the show and um, have a more like extensive episode just focusing on the consistent anti-oppression bill for veganism. So look out for that. Hopefully, that'll be coming up as well. Um, okay. And then my last question was about vegan parenting. Um, and the fact that as we mentioned, you have a baby and toddler vegan feeding guide, which is simple evidence-based and dietitian approved. And then you also have just released a vegan's children's book called wild and free. Uh, I'm not sure what it's about, but from the cover, I gathered that it was probably about, uh, like a cow in a sanctuary. No, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's basically a, a rhyming book for oh. babies and toddlers. And what the book does is it explains in really basic terms what um, animal rights is and what speciesism is. So it breaks it down into, um, you know, it starts off with, okay, here's the non-human and this is how how sad they are because they're treated in this way. And then on the other page is is the non-human or it shows a non-human and they're really happy and they're wild and free as they should be. But the verses rhyme and then um, it, guide, it goes through different types of, uh, of um, non-human animal exploitation. And then at the end, um, it basically... Sh- teaches the 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 child that you know we have to work um on both non-human animal and human um rights issues and at the the last page is actually a guide of things that you could do right now with uh, small children oh i love it it's like teaching super pro intersectional veganism to young to young <laughs> children that's awesome yeah and it's not graphic so mm-hmm. it's it's really age appropriate like uh, i would say from zero to seven or um someone actually reviewed it they bought the ebook and they said like it's great for all ages so <laughs> yeah i feel like a bunch of a bunch of adult vegans could <laughs> read that book and learn a lot <laughs> and um yeah and, and uh all the books um they uh donate to different organizations like the baby and toddler feeding guide um um i donate from that to chilies on wheels they help feed um humans and non-humans mm-hmm. with a uh, warm vegan meals mm-hmm. the uh wild and free the new children's book um we're donating to I don't know how to say it, Pretty Pretty Rang um, Sanctuary in California. Mm-hmm. And um, the Veganism of Color, uh, sorry, Veganism in an Oppressive World, I donate to uh, Food Empowerment Project. So yeah, uh, lots to do, lots to write. And uh, how do I do it? Yeah. Uh, very carefully. <laughs> oh my God, it must take you so much time. <laughs> I tried to work on my own book project a little while ago, but it was... 
I was like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I need a few more years. <laughs> See, but that's how my brain works. Um, it's hard to explain, but basically I have an idea. And if I don't get it out as soon as possible, it'll just disappear and forever just go away. Because my brain, like ADHD brains are either on or off things. So if it turns off, mm. I lose complete interest and there's no way in going back. So as soon as I have an idea, I start like, okay, what do I need to do this? Okay, I'm going to start this and then like, I'll go back to it, but then I'm going to work on this. And then like, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, it's all like very immediate and practical. It sounds yes. like. <laughs> Like I, I relate to that somewhat. I have very, I'm either extremely in it and passionate about an idea and it's like, I don't sleep like this. This is all I think about is like how I'm going to mm -hmm. implement this idea. That's why I tend to be very efficient in those times, but also a little bit all over the place. Like mm -hmm. people will be like, have you been? I'm like, great. I haven't slept in two months. I'm just excessively <laughs> thinking about this one thing. Um, but then when I lose interest in it, or it's not even losing interest. It's like, okay, well now my vision is going to manifest in a different way. Like mm -hmm. the old thing is just gone. Like I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm done with it. So mm -hmm. I feel like I relate to that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I also have to keep my brain like going and busy. So in between I'll, I'll like, um, I really enjoy, um, just drawing. So I'll draw for, you know, tofu magazine. Oh, wow. Um, or I'll, I'll write an article for, I don't know who, and you know, I'm just doing everything. And of course, like there's also family time. Yeah. <laughs> and on top kids. of that, you're raising two young children <laughs> and you have a partner. But that's why smartphones are amazing. Like I've written whole chapters on my book. <laughs> just like, yeah, I like the chapter that I have for my upcoming book. Um, I wrote on my flight over to London. Wow. So... <laughs> So, yeah, because, I mean, as soon as something gets started, I need to put it down or it just disappears forever. When inspiration strikes, you're just like, where's the pen? Where's baby? Basically. Where's my phone? Yeah, it's, it's, that's literally how our brains work. Like, for if you're with someone with ADHD and you tell them something, something and, and they say, yeah, I'll remember, we will not remember. Unless uh -huh. <laughs> we write it down. And that's sort of like... In a more, I guess, like I have a little more time, but if something starts like writing itself in my head, I need to put it down. Otherwise, I just won't remember. It's just gone. Wow, that's really interesting. It's so interesting to think about how different how different brains work. <laughs> I hope that the listeners are familiar with the words uh, neurodiversity and neurodivergent, mm -hmm. the idea that there isn't one normal, acceptable way to have a brain um and also creating a norm around a type of brain then just pathologizes everyone else's brain as like lacking or sick or something um but just the the idea that no it's they're all you know there's a diversity of brains and we've focused on this one type as the norm and have labeled all the other ones sick but that's just such a that's the definition of ableism, I feel like. Well, yeah, I'm, it's basically neurotypical supremacy. It's just yeah. another form of supremacy. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and and I mean, um, there's books that have been written about the connections as well. And and it's a way that non-humans are also used um, as a tool of oppression, not only racially, um, you know, against people of color, but also with regards to, to um, neurodivergent people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in one of the, in the chapter that I just, that I just told you about, you know, I, I remember being told, um, by my own grandmother, oh, um, you know, not non-human 
animals they don't feel like they're just robots mm. and you know and I, I I'm in some autistic groups and um I have autistic friends and the other day someone posted you know like why do neurotypical parents treat their autistic or you know ADHD children as, as if they don't have self-awareness mm. because you know like supremacy works that way that you think everyone that's not a specific way must be you know less than mm -hmm. people with adhd we, we're not like for example a lot of words english language like lazy we're not lazy it's just if we're not motivated enough to do something like it's so incredibly difficult to do it like mm -hmm. we're probably not going to do it unless someone helps us or but then we're we can be really gifted in other ways um, if we're allowed to do so, mm -hmm. for example, I'm able to do what I do because my, my partner supports me. And then you publish six books in two years, <laughs> not even. <laughs> <laughs> and I do see that as, a, of course, I have that privilege as a neurodivergent person because I see so many, so many neurodivergent people who are amazing, but they, they doubt themselves like, um, because we're basically told like we're just stupid like a lot of people don't understand how how our brains work how you know to get us to be or to allow us to be successful in our own way so people just oh well you can't do it this way you must be really stupid or lazy or and it's it's things that that we internalize like i i wouldn't i i for years mm. I, it was only recently that i started you know saying out loud that i have a that i i am an adhd person because of the way that people treat you they just assume that you're incapable mm. um and then i realized you know it's it's of if if people have these um these insecurities like i used to have see me talking about it they're gonna feel that you know hey maybe that's just the way that i am maybe i can accomplish these things because we can again we just need either the support or the time or to be allowed you know like we have this thing called hyper focus and um that that's i've actually written like whole chapters or like a whole book in like you know a few days because when hyper focus hits like nothing else like like you're in like the zone you can't get out of it um until it's done mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't understand that mm -hmm. i don't know i guess I, just talking about it i think is important because i remember uh when when i first um was diagnosed i didn't even know what that was and it was only by chance because i i was actually in therapy for something else <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, and I, I happened to start talking about reading and my therapist was like, no, people don't, don't actually read like that. Cause I, I, I speed read because whatever I read, it'll disappear. I can't absorb it. So mm. unless I'm really interested in it, like extremely interested in it. So it was the first time that I realized, oh, is that why? Oh, <laughs> mm. and um, also the 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 first time I actually read a book cover to cover was when I I was medicated. So um, 
that's another root issue that that uh, vegan. I'm really rambling right now, but um, that's another root issue that I think vegans need to be aware of. You know, like without my medication, I would not be able to do the work that I do because I wouldn't be able to concentrate. I'd be stuck in my head, and right. um, yeah, that's another root issue that instead of targeting people, we should really be addressing the animal testing industry and right. the medical industry. Instead of like targeting the people who rely on this medication to function in this extremely mm-hmm. neuro, what, what is the word you use? Neurotypical society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Julia. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. everyone it's maxi just jumping on to shout out the new patron for this week so thank you so much to vv i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly if you would like to support the show you can become a monthly patron donor at patreon.com slash vegan vanguard or toss us a one-time donation via paypal on our website veganvanguardpodcast.com and yeah rate and review us on itunes or whatever app you listen to us on to increase our reach thanks guys All right. So that was it, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Julia. I certainly did. Please remember to check out the show notes. And if you're grateful for all of Julia's work and you'd like to support her endeavors, make sure to also swing by her Patreon page. Please share this episode. Let Julia know and let us know if you appreciated it. And I hope that everyone is going to continue to have a wonderful day or night. And I'll speak with you very soon. Bye.